0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Gospel of the Lord to you, o Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes the debate is not about what's actually being debated. Sometimes there are larger issues at play, or maybe deeper issues, Uh, or the argument, or the, the presenting issue, it's maybe just a way to distract you. It's only later that you realize you had been focused on entirely the wrong thing. For example, uh, in the church, uh, I'm sure that you are aware of the many debates on marriage and adult relationships that have rent the Protestant churches asunder in the last uh, several decades. Even this, uh, as important and fundamental as this issue is, is really just a symptom of biblical fidelity or infidelity. I say that because while some believe that they were clearly arguing in good faith as to what the Bible taught, they did Old and New Testament studies, they did original language studies, they did contextual studies, they knew the issue frontwards and backwards, historical studies, what the church had always said, etc. the fact is the other side was never going to be convinced. By arguments. They were essentially just playing along. It was never their strategy to debate the Bible. They actually hate the Bible. They don't view it as authoritative. They were always going to use emotional and rhetorical arguments to change people's minds. And that's exactly what they have done and are still doing. Or look at the issue of the protection of the unborn. Uh, we were told, well, if you can prove biologically that this is a human being, then, of course, the the process, this this procedure should come to an end. Well, so we've spent decades proving that this, in in fact, biologically is a human being, and we look at the issues of conception and development and all these other issues, and now that that's been successful, they say, oh, well, actually, it doesn't matter if it's a human being or not. This is about personal autonomy and one's ability to make choices. I see the... The the, the topic changed. Or you look at the resurrection. Uh, We have fantastic arguments for the historical certainty of the resurrection. The tomb was empty. The enemies of Jesus affirm that the tomb is empty. No one ever produced the body. Nobody, it makes no sense for anyone to have stolen the body. The apostles go to their death proclaiming a resurrection. If they had been responsible for stealing his body, why would they have died for that? What they knew was untrue. So you have all of these, you know, really strong circumstantial, at best, circumstantial evidence is good, by the way. Anyway, you have all these strong arguments for the resurrection, and then you're, you're done making a whole presentation to someone, and they say, well, I just don't think resurrection is possible. I guess that's what we should have been debating the whole time then, not whether he was resurrected, but whether he even could have been. See, that's a worldview issue. Or if you look at some of the reformers, Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Jan Hus, or John Hus in particular, the Bohemian reformer, who was about a hundred years before Luther burned at the stake, and uh, said a lot of the same things Luther would say later, and uh, he faced church officials uh, at his trial at the Council of Constance in 1415, and I mean, the guy was ready with biblical arguments against the you know, the papacy, really, and against the definition of the church and against various practices in the church he disapproved of, but the church had already made up its its mind. The church said that it had the authority to say what the Bible meant, so why even bother showing up with biblical arguments? They didn't believe that they should be held to the standard of your arguments by the Bible because who is John Huss or who is Martin Luther to say what the Bible says, (laughs) We say what the Bible says. It was a rigged game. The debate was not about what it was about. That's why Luther had to go further and further and further, and he had to destroy the entire complex right, of, of the false uh, foundations of the church to then get reformed. It can be frustrating then if you're the one who's arguing in good faith, right? if you are assuming a playing field that is fair, You might have spent months or years studying a particular issue, understanding it forwards and backwards, uh, and assuming that the person who opposes you has been doing the same. Only later do you realize that that is not what they were interested in at all. They actually had far deeper, maybe more sinister aims, and they were just rope-a-doping you the whole time. And you realize this with a broken heart, because you have lost on the current issue, and your opponent has become quite smug because they fooled you in the process. And then you realize it was only ever a game to them, and then you realize that you have got to commit to really understanding the deeper and truer situation. You desire to see the world as it really is so that you can protect yourself, and your church, and your family, and and your world, your community, from those who don't play by the rules and actually have ulterior motives. And we actually see this happen a lot in the Gospels, in case you think I'm a nut. Jesus' opponents pretend to debate him on superficial issues, I would say, all the time. They debate about the Sabbath, or they debate about taxes, but what is really going on is an intense power play. It is a power play, and on one side of that game is going to be a result or another. It is inevitable. One side will win, one side will lose. They all know it. Jesus knows it. He's no stupid. You know, he's no dummy, and Jesus, of course, is always fighting for the bigger picture, the real picture, the underlying issue, which is the spiritual oppression that Jesus is freeing the people from. That is the big picture. Not the ninnies who are running the synagogues yapping about Sabbath laws that, you know, are arguably unbiblical. Death and new life. That's the business that Jesus is in. Not arcane codes of law. That is the big picture for which he is always working. Now, after all, In our gospel lesson this morning, here is a woman who has been bound for 18 years. For 18 years, she could not stand up straight. She had been oppressed. She had suffered. And the only response from everyone in that community, the moment that she was healed, is to rejoice. That is the only acceptable response. Anything else is unwelcome. And in fact you get the impression that everyone did rejoice except for one person. She rejoiced when Jesus laid his hands on her immediately she stood up and began praising God. That is the correct response. The crowd seems pleased by the result as well. You kind of get the impression that the synagogue leaders kind of start trying to shut everyone up. Right? He's kind of trying he's saying, "Hey, hey there're six days on which work ought to be done." Come on those days and be cured. Uh Uh-huh. Is this really a Sabbath issue? Or is that just the superficial debate going on? You see, with such an extreme disparity between legal obedience on the one hand and basic compassion on the other, we're really only left with two options. That is to say, with this woman being healed after 18 years, and his reaction to it, you're left with two choices. The first is that he's really quite dumb. Okay? He, he's like a non-playing character in a video game. Okay? Those are the people the computer generates. You can't interact with them meaningfully. It's like the, the town crier, or the farmer, or the villager, or whatever. And that's basically who he is. He's he's fulfilling a role for more powerful people. They say, protect the Sabbath at all costs. And he just says, okay, whatever you say. But you can't actually engage with him. You can't argue with him. He's not interested. Or this leader is quite cunning. He's quite intelligent. And he has operated essentially a house of cards for years. Remember that a lot of these these Jewish leaders that Jesus is in conflict with, they weren't strictly following the Old Testament law. They added to the law. In between the return to Israel after the Babylonian exile, there's a period about 400 years where that is when the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and other groups, the Essenes, uh, they, they add to the law so that they never fall into idolatry again. So the context of Jesus is, is really one of sort of hyper-law Uh, And maybe for a good reason, but it gets out of control, as we can see. And so this guy very well could be acting something like a cult leader, right, where he is constantly manipulating the people, he's keeping them subjugated and afraid, and he was afraid that this guy, Jesus, who he undoubtedly had heard of probably by this point, was going to undo all of this. He was going to take away his fragile hold on power. And then he would be shown to be a man with no authority, you know, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, right, being, uh, you know, unearthed at the end of the film. But either way, I don't really think this debate is about Sabbath uh, regulations at all. If it was, it's only superficial. For Jesus calls them out for their hypocrisy. Does not each of you untie on the Sabbath his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it to give it water? Uh, If we keep our animals alive with a drink of water on the Sabbath, ought we not to heal a woman who has been bound by Satan for 18 years on the Sabbath? Would one day really make a difference? So I don't think it's about the Sabbath. I don't think it ever was. Jesus is a masterful debater. He addresses the presenting issue quickly, and he dispenses with it right away. Right? His, his, the first thing he says is, we are not going to debate that issue because you people violate the Sabbath all the time because you take your donkey to get a drink of water. So that can't possibly be the issue. We're going to take it off the board. And then Jesus hits them really in the solar plexus and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on this Sabbath day? I mean, this is spiritual warfare. This is the big picture. Okay, This is good and evil. It doesn't get any bigger than this. Jesus is about setting the captive free and defeating the forces of evil. There are many petty leaders in our lives that desire nothing more than to keep us bound up with rules and regulations. But that is not how we are supposed to live. Even just a a cursory reading of the Gospels, look at all the things that Jesus affirms as good and lovely things to pursue with our lives. For example, we are to employ our gifts, use our talents, love our neighbor, to be married, To raise children, to work a a productive job, to attend celebrations and parties, uh, to have grandchildren, to own land, to receive a fair wage. On and on and on. I mean, it sounds like a pretty good life, right? Those are just some of the things that Jesus says we are free to do because he has set us free to do them. Now, we are not lawless, of course. Jesus uh, does not allow us to become anarchists. In fact, Christians love the law. In fact, Christians are so obedient through our self-discipline that we don't need people on the outside, religious leaders, civic leaders, to tell us how to live. We've already chosen that for ourselves if we are truly obedient to God's law, the truth is that there is nothing that some city or state or religious official can demand of us unless they are just plain and simple tyrants. So the issue here is not the Sabbath, but rather the desire to control others rather than let them enjoy the freedom that God has given them. Indeed, what we see in this this confrontation is something of a social contract. Jesus says, I desire that my people would be free from the bondage to sin. And those who oppose him might claim to do so on solid ground, as this religious leader surely did, but they are actually opposing Christ and his freedom. Might we be unafraid? of those who would steal our joy, who would rather keep us bound to sin and guilt and shame and fear because they like lording over us. Might we have the perception and the wisdom to see when tyrants are lying to us, keeping us from God's grace? And might we remember the story of this woman and what Jesus did for her, for he does the same for us. Amen.